creation, we sing praise to the King of Kings. Sisters and brothers, I invite you, wherever you are, we are in the presence of our God. We are standing or sitting in the presence of the one who created the universe, the earth, and each of us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And so this morning, let us enter into his presence with praise and with singing. Let us enter into his presence with thanksgiving in our hearts. As we sing, as we worship, let us worship our God. We're going to join together now in singing the hymn, The Church's One Foundation, hymn number 442, if you have it at home. I invite you, if you'd like to, in your homes to stand, I invite you to do that as we sing.
And yet we know that you are immutable. You do not change. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We worship you. We recognize in the midst of this time of uncertainty that you are our rock. You are our foundation. You are our refuge. And we find our refuge in you. At the same time, we cry out, how long, O Lord? How long? And so we invite you to visit us today, new and afresh. We know that you are with us always. But today, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us in a new way so that we might experience you in a new way. Thank you, Lord God, for loving us more than we could possibly understand. Help us to fall in love with you today. We pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome to First Presbyterian Church, Santa Ana, the heart of Orange County, I'd like to say. Uh, I'm glad that you are here with us. You are watching here on Facebook Live. I am so happy to have our church members joining us every week. We also have people uh, who are friends and family who join us, and I love that. Um, and when I say friends and family, that includes my family, some who are in Illinois, some who are in Northern California. Uh, but it also includes family of the people who participate in worship. So it's always fun to see people's names where the last names are similar to those who are here. People like Abadi and people like that. So we just love having you here. Um, also friends from past times uh, joining us. I know people that join from Florida, from New Jersey, from New York, uh, from Colorado, from Texas. It's so great to have you here, thank you. And then there's even people who uh, attend or watch who are friends of mine from my Prod Collectors group on Facebook. Um, and I wanna give a special shout out to you all and say God bless you. And today we're talking a little bit about the marriage supper of the Lamb so you all can know the great song by Genesis, Supper's Ready, that's about that marriage supper of the Lamb. So. Uh, if you're watching and you recognize that, put a note in the thread and say, all right, Genesis. <laughs> okay, a couple of other announcements before we continue our worship together. Uh, next Sunday will be our director of youth ministries last Sunday with us. Xander will be here in the worship service. He'll be leading worship. We'll have a time to kind of interview him uh, for his final Sunday We'll also, immediately after the worship service, we'll have a Zoom meeting with Xander and Vanessa, and we'll be able to um, share comments with him and let him know how much we love him and how much we appreciated his ministry here at First Presbyterian Church with our youth, our high schoolers and junior hires. And so uh, to give him a, a good send-off, he wanted to finish well, and so let's do that. We're also offering the opportunity, if you'd like, to uh, contribute to a gift to him. Uh, you may do so on our regular contribution link uh, online or by mail. You can send a check in. Either way, put in the memo slot Xander and we'll know that that's going directly to him. So thank you for doing that. Also keep praying for a director of youth ministry for us. We're looking for someone new and interviewing people and talking to people already. So um, we're, we're working on that as quickly as possible. And then finally, I am looking at starting a discipleship uh, program in September. If you are interested in that, uh, private message me, text me, do something about that. That is going to be pretty in-depth. It means you're going to have assignments every week. You'll have to come prepared to respond and talk uh, looking up things in scripture and then um, working on that. So we're looking at spiritual meat here, not milk. And so we want to offer that to anyone who might be interested in that. And I uh, am so excited. This Sunday we have with us Sandra, Miss Sandra, 
who is our director of children's ministry, and she's going to share a little bit about what's going on with the children's ministry, what has been going on this summer, and uh, she even has visual aids, which all good children's people do. So, to Sandra. children's ministry. We love them all. I would also like to extend the invitation to join me on our Sunday gatherings at 11.30 a.m. Our children's gatherings consist of a Bible story, a craft, and we finish with a prayer. My mission is for no child to feel left out. Therefore, I do weekly home deliveries of the activity printed instructions and all craft materials for that day. Each child gets his or her his aunt or her own bundle. All children are welcome to join us. If the time is inconvenient for you or your child, please feel free to message me on our Facebook page and I will gladly schedule something with you. Now I would like to show you some examples of our Sunday gathering crafts we've done. Thank you, Sandra. Many people come to faith through children's ministries at church. Um, that is the starting point. And at that point, that's when we first learn that Jesus loves us. Uh, we learned that song, Jesus loves me, this I know. So in response to that and in preparation for the sermon, we're going to sing hymn number 366, Jesus, Thy Boundless Love to Me. Let's join together.
When asked the most important commandment, Jesus responded, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the most important thing that we can do. Now remember, we're in a sermon series for the summer titled Beyond These Walls. And we're looking at what it means to be the church beyond the physical building. What does it mean to be the church in the world? Not just to go to church, but to be the church. And this phrase from Jesus and from the Old Testament strikes me that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We're supposed to love God with our entire being. Now it's interesting, in the Greek, there are four different words that we translate love. And for those that have been in my church for a while here, or in First Presbyterian, it's not my church, it's Jesus' church, okay. No, you don't have to send me a note. <laughs> but um, for those that have been with us for a while, you know I've done an entire series on the four loves. But I want you to think about this. In this phrase, when Jesus says, you shall love the Lord your God, the word there is agape. Agape is a word that describes a love of choice, a love of will, a love of covenant, an unconditional love. You don't have to do anything to earn my love. I love you no matter what. Even if you turn and walk away, I continue to love you. And even when I don't feel love for you, I promise I will continue to love you. That's agape love. And we as the church are meant to love God that way, both as individuals and as a congregation. But there are other words for love. Storge is the kind of love that is meant to describe the love of parent for child. And so this is an important part of who we are as we accept God as Father. And we pray to God, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When Jesus prayed to God and said, Abba, Father, we are accepting God's love for us as divine parents, and we are expressing our love to God as our divine parent. The other one is phileo. You know, we get Philadelphia from that, the city of what? Brotherly love, right? And that's the love of companionship and friendship, the, the love of brothers, as C.S. Lewis said, uh, comrades going to the pub and having a few pints together. That's the kind of brotherly love that we have. We also have that with Jesus, right? We call Jesus brother. We describe the church as the family of God. But the fourth word kind of sets us a little sideways because it is eros, where we get the word erotic. And that is the love of romance, the love of man for woman, of husband for wife. And I think it's a little hard for us to attribute that kind of love to Jesus. Maybe a little more difficult for men like me uh, than perhaps women because we're thinking of Jesus as our lover. And that's why when we come to this day today, when we're, we've been talking about all the different metaphors used to describe the church, today we talk about the church as the bride, as the wife of Jesus, and Jesus as the bridegroom. I love reading this passage from Ephesians chapter 5 uh, to young couples in premarital counseling before they get married. And I, I just love to read this and watch them squirm on, my, on the couch in my office. Wives, be subject to your husbands as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ so also wives ought to be in everything 
to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word so as to, to present the church to himself in splendor without a spot or wrinkle or anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves him, his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes and tenderly cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ and the church. This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ and the church. How many times have we heard this passage read in discussing husbands and wives? And how few times have we heard this passage read to describe Christ and the church. We are meant to view Christ as our husband. We are his beloved. He is our lover. We talk about loving God in an agape kind of way, in a parent kind of way, in a brother kind of way. But do we fall in love with God? Are we infatuated with Jesus as we would be someone we are in love with? This is a great mystery. I am applying it to Christ and the church. This passage clearly sets forth the church as the bride of Christ. Now, Paul is a student of the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. He knows them well. He was a Pharisee. He was a teacher of the law. And so he understood this metaphor well, because it is used often in Jeremiah, in Isaiah, in Ezekiel, in the other prophets. The people of Israel were described as the wife of God, and oftentimes not in a good way. <laughs> the wife was not always uh, a faithful wife. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah says. For your maker, your maker, is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. For the Lord has called you like a wife, forsaken and grieved in spirit, like the wife of a man, uh, the youth when she is cast off. And other prophets describe that relationship. And the relationship started with the covenant between God and the people of Israel in the wilderness at Mount Sinai. And that covenant is similar to the covenant that a husband and wife make during a wedding ceremony. They make a commitment to love each other, to be faithful to each other, to uh, honor each other. Now, unfortunately, they're not always true to that covenant. Unfortunately, there are times of unfaithfulness. And in fact, in several cases, especially in the minor prophets in the Old Testament, God describes the people of Israel as an unfaithful wife. In fact, poor Hosea, if you watch my morning coffees with Pastor Lance ever, a couple of weeks ago I went through the, the minor prophet book of Hosea. And Hosea, the poor guy, God said, okay, I want you to go and marry this woman but she will be a prostitute. <laughs> I'd be like Jonah at that point. I'm not going in the other direction, God. I'm not going with that, okay? But, but God was seeking to illustrate to the people of Israel the relationship between him and them had broken and that they had gone after other gods and worshiping other gods. And while they were still trying to worship God and offer sacrifices to God, they had their mistresses to the side, uh, other gods. In fact, Paul 
uh, echoes this in 2 Corinthians 11 when he talks about the people of the church of Corinth going after other gods. And he says, what are you? I, I am trying to, to set you up as a young bride for Jesus Christ, but you are going off after other gods. You are no longer pure. I want to present you before our Lord pure, but you are going off to other gods. In the same way, we should be mindful of what's going on in our own lives and how we are not 100% all in with God. God is not like a retirement plan. You are not supposed to uh, diversify your portfolio. I'm going to cover every possible situation. So, yes, I'll go to church on Sunday and worship the God of Scripture, but I'm going to worship these other gods too just to be sure I, I get myself in. No, God doesn't like that. Our God is a jealous, jealous God. God wants you to be 100% invested in Him. Part of that is that the second coming of Jesus is, is meant to be the sense of a bridegroom coming to collect His bride. Coming to get His bride. And in the first century when Jesus was alive, and here on this earth, that was the way weddings happened. The, the wedding party would all gather and be ready, and they were just waiting for the bridegroom to come. But they didn't know when the bridegroom was going to come. How would you like that? I don't know. I can't imagine a single bride in our day and age that would be okay with that. <laughs> they would want everything to be set and uh, definite, and no changes, nothing unusual. <laughs> You know how we call them bridezillas now. So, uh, yeah, everything has to be exactly right. But uh, Jesus was saying, yeah, you have to be ready. And he even told the parable of the ten bridesmaids, right? And five of them were waiting patiently and expectantly, and they didn't burn the oil in their lamps because if the bridegroom came at night, they had to light their lamps and go out to welcome him. And the other fives used their lamps for other things. Um, probably updating their Facebook page and Instagram and WhatsApp and things like that. So uh, they used up all the oil in their lamps. And then when the bridegroom did come, they said, hey, share some of your oil with us. And the five who were patient said no. They were, they were called wise in the parable as opposed to the foolish. And they said, no, we saved this in order to welcome the bridegroom properly. So Jesus told this parable as a sense of Christ coming the second time and taking his bride to himself. And so I want you to think about that as you think about the church beyond these walls, waiting patiently and expectantly for Jesus Christ. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. John describes the end times and the end of all things to be a great marriage feast. He says this, Let us rejoice and exult and give God the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. I want you to think about that. What is that going to be like? Later, John wrote, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Wow. Now, that expectation and that hope and that excitement and that, oh, I just can't wait. I'm not sure we really get so let me give you a hypothetical to think about. I mean, hypothetically, think of me, Pastor Lance, as a single man. Hypothetically, of course. And, and imagine that I have the love of my life living in a foreign country. This is all hypothetical, of course. I mean, South America, maybe. And imagine that there's a global pandemic that happens and we're separated. 
5,000 kilometers to be exact, hypothetical. And the only way we can communicate is through video chat. And just imagine how much we are expectant, how much we are excited, how much we are hopeful to see each other. The sooner, the better. I just can't wait. It's all hypothetical, of course. That's the way the church should feel about Jesus Christ. Not hypothetical. We should be longing for his coming. How does this relate to us as being the church beyond these walls? I am telling you right now, I am hearing so much talk about the end times. There are a lot of people out there. It's the end times. Now, I do want to say one thing. This response has happened with every single pandemic since the first century. Every time people say, the sky is falling. It's the end of the world. People start singing, it's the end of the world as we know it. Yeah, so that'll just catch a few of you who are of a particular age and will say, oh, R.E.M., awesome. Uh, but people struggle with this notion. And here's the thing. People are using the end times as a fear factor. They're trying to scare people. The Antichrist is here. Some people identify the Antichrist. Oh, the Antichrist is in the White House. The Antichrist is this person, and the Antichrist is that person. I remember 30 years ago reading a book that definitely proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that Gorbachev was the Antichrist, and that the birthmark on his forehead was a 666. Was he the Antichrist? <laughs> Apparently not. So, I don't take a lot of uh, strength or validity in these arguments. Because Jesus even said, Jesus, the Son of God, said, no one knows the time except God the Father. So, we don't know. Maybe it is the end times. Maybe it's not. But here's the thing. If it is the end of times, wow. We shouldn't be using this as a weapon to scare people. This as a time to share hope and excitement and anticipation. We're going to see our Lord. We're going to see our beloved, our lover, our husband, the one in whom we are in love with. That should be exciting for us. The Bible teaches us to live in expectation and anticipation and preparation. We should be ready. As long as we are here, the church is waiting for her husband. According to Jesus, we must wait patiently. We must wait in anticipation. We must be ready. And according to Paul, we must not be distracted by others. So during this time when people begin to express fear, take the opportunity to explore the scriptures with them. Look at the scriptures. My favorite verse in Revelation is Revelation 1.3 that said, Blessed are all those who read this book. It doesn't say, fearful are all those who read this book. It says, blessed are all those. We are meant to be blessed by these prophecies. I mean, hypothetically, if I was in love with a woman who lived 5,000 kilometers away, and I found out that she was arriving soon, I would be so excited. I would clean my house. I might even shower. I might even shave my neck. I might do a few things to make myself ready for her. That's the way we 
as the church, as the bride of Christ, should be at his coming. May we wait in joyful expectation for the coming of our Savior, our bridegroom, the Lamb, Jesus Christ our Lord. Even so, Lord Jesus, quickly come. In response to God's word to us today, I've invited Carol to sing one of the great classic uh, solos of the church, the Holy City. Um, and as she is singing, I invite you to go to the, uh, the uh, online giving link if you would like to contribute to the ministry here uh, and offer your thankful offerings to our God. Uh, Carol, lead us now.
Hosanna forevermore. Lord God, we cry out to you. We cry out to you and ask that you would save us. Lord God, our world is a fearful thing. There are natural disasters, fires, billowing in the western states, hurricanes bearing down in the south, floods in the east. Lord God, we pray for you to save us. There's racial division in the world, angry people on the left and on the right. We ask that you would save us. There's a virus attacking people. Friends are losing loved ones. We ask for your healing touch, Lord God. Save us. In our own lives, we're feeling isolated and separated. We're feeling alone. Remind us, Lord, of your presence. Protect us, Lord. Surround us with your loving arms. Cleanse us. Make us whole. Help us to be ready for your coming. Help us to live in anticipation and joyful expectation and hope. And help us to share that message with the people around us. Heaven forbid that we only express our love for you in a church building, but help us to express our love for you at all times beyond these walls. Hear us now as we pray the prayer that you taught your disciples, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Oh,